0: So I'm always like, uh, oh, you you don't think you could run a marathon? Which ones have you tried? And they're just like, uh, I haven't. Like, well, yeah, there you go. You got to
1: actually try. Welcome back to the next episode. I have an amazing guest today for you. But first, I have to give a quick shout out to Katie Mills, who is three days into Dragon's Back Race. If you guys haven't checked this out, go to dragonsbackrace.com. It is 380 kilometers or 236 miles over six days with 17,400 meters or just under 60,000 feet. And it is not like a trail. That terrain is fucked up. It is the toughest mountains race in the world. She's three days in and two and a half hours ahead. She is absolutely crushing. Uh, We talk about her a lot on this podcast because she's amazing. And so it's so much fun to see her get to go out there and just fucking prove it uh, without me slowing her down for FKTs. So go check this out. Seriously, look at the photos. I imagine by the time this comes out, I will have run Finlison. She will be finished this. Um, and we get to see how much, knock on wood, her lead is by. And I will do everything in my power to get her back on the podcast. Um, thanks for all the great feedback about Finlison. I will do a recap on how that goes. It's the day before I leave, so I don't know yet. And hopefully uh, it's good. I don't know. You get anxiety and then you get to a point where you're like, fucking, I don't know. I've done all the things I can do. So now I just got to have fun. Today's episode is with another Katie, Katie Spots. And she is a very unique individual. We had a really good just conversation. Um, She has a huge love for adventure, whether it be on a bike, running, or rowing. Um, But she also wants to do these adventures to raise awareness. So um, right now in September, she's cycling across the state of Maine. 308 miles along the Atlantic shoreline. So she began in the Canadian border of Lubeck and um, goes down the coast line. Fucking bananas. In 2022, she completed a run for water that made her the first person to run 138 miles nonstop across Maine in 33 hours and, ran, and raised $26,000 for charity along the way. Um, she also recently became the first woman to run 62 miles nonstop across New Hampshire and the first woman to run 74 miles nonstop across Vermont. The Ride for Water is more than an adventure, it's an opportunity to raise funds for clean water and sanitation products in, a port, in support of H2O for Life. Katie's goal is to raise $6,000 for a clean water project in Ethiopia. So I want to put that out there because I'll link to her bio, and if you guys can donate, that would be amazing. Um, the issue of clean water, she gets into it a bit, is, uh, is pretty bananas. And the fact that we just have so much of it, makes she makes a good point. Like, we need to be doing something about this. So um, go check that out. Another cool thing she did was become the youngest person to row across the Atlantic. Um, so I was creeping through pictures of that. Freaking bananas. She was also on the Joe Rogan podcast. So that makes us famous, right? You guys too, listeners, our little community. Last thing is a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, LiveLight.co. They are a zero waste grocery delivery service that delivers to North Vancouver and Vancouver. So this one's for more of our local audience. Um, But delivery is free in all of Vancouver or North Vancouver. Um, You do not need to be home to receive your order. You don't have any minimums that you need to hit. Your products will be delivered in glass jars or 100% recyclable paper bags and they take back the jars and uh, the bags can go directly into the compost. Um, I ordered so much stuff from them. I got fruit and vegetables. I got this vegan yogurt. I got my post-race cookie from a local company called To Die For. Um, This stuff is fantastic, you guys. And right now you can get 20% off with Hillary 20. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y. One L in there. 20 at livelight.co, and again i'll link to that in the show notes so go check that out get a big discount on groceries that you would order anyways including dried mango um, and soaps and epsom salts and all the delightful things gooder sunglasses check out again on instagram for all my favorite pairs they're no slip they're no bounce they're so much fun they're not super expensive you can get a billion pairs at 15 percent off with the discount trw15 at gooder.com backslash trw so that you can stock your runs with some really awesome sunglasses and i'm going to let Corey do the rest of this ad better than i ever could sunglasses are all the same except for gooders they're not lame bright colors and polarized get that shit to protect your eyes today's episode of the trail running women podcast is brought to you by Gooder sunglasses. Okay, thanks so much. If you want to find more out about the Finless and arm, how that went, find me on Instagram at Hillsport55. Um, Most people come because of the podcast and they stay for the Baker content because he is the cutest little weirdo ever. So come check him out. And thanks to everyone on Patreon. The episodes disappear from the interwebs when you get to as many as we have the earlier ones. So I'm putting a backlog up on Patreon. So if you want the first few episodes, there's only two right now, but they're going to keep coming. Um, go check them out there. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye. All right. I am chatting with Katie spots who reached out to me and said she had a great story to tell. And I started to look into some of the things that you've done. And I was like, I've heard this story before so you are also our first guest who has also been on the Joe Rogan podcast which I think makes us famous. So welcome to the show Katie. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah um, of course. So you are 34 years old and where are you currently living?
0: I am in the Coast Guard so I am based here in Maine. I have been here for a couple years and I'm here for one more year until who knows where. But uh, Maine for now, originally from Cleveland, Ohio.
1: Okay, awesome. Um, so I was looking through the stuff you've done, and I mean, there's just such a variety. Um, obviously, we're running podcasts, but you've done a crazy amount of endurance sports that have a bunch of other stuff kind of going on as well. The danger aspect seems to be something that you enjoy from what I I can tell from you. So why don't we start... Um, with a little bit about young Katie, how did you get into these sports and tell us everything kind of that you play and then we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. So I grew up playing all the team sports like basketball, baseball, soccer, volleyball, anything with a ball and a court and a field I tried. And I was one of those kids that was In baseball, I was picking the dandelions. In soccer, I couldn't figure out what side of the field to be on. And I'd be thinking about what I wanted for the post game ice cream, and more than I was thinking about what drills we were supposed to be running on the court. So I was definitely not a star athlete. And I was, you know, the position I played the most was the bench. So after a while, I was like, well, this is, a. would rather be doing something else. And so I, I kind of chalked it up that I'm just not an athlete. That's just for other people, but not me. So there was one class, uh, between me and my high school diploma. And I went through, um, my goal, which was to get the easiest a and put in the least amount of effort. So I, I skimmed through by process of elimination, what class would be the easiest a, and um, it was a a walking running class. So I was like, well, just got to put one foot in front of the other. I could do that. So I was in the class and, you know, my, I was already annoyed to be taking a class. I didn't really want to be in and walking was just so boring that it, 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 brought on a moment of just like curiosity, like, Oh, is it possible? Is it really possible to run one mile? And um, with no pressure from coaches or letting down teammates or anything like that, it was just a very mm, curious just to see if it's even possible and not, not even convinced that it would be. So I did try to run one mile and my strategy for that one mile was go as fast as I possibly could just because I didn't know how many minutes I would last. And I figured, why don't I just get it over with as soon as I possibly can. And, um, that one mile, I mean, it, it wasn't this runner's high. It wasn't this immediate love for running, but it left me with a sense of possibility and, um, you know, I've played sports and usually the answer is, are we going to win or lose? And what I found in endurance is you get to constantly um, discover what is humanly possible or what is possible for you. And so I I said I could never run one mile and I was wrong. So what else was I wrong about? And so that's kind of the place I started from an accidental adventurer who was a bench warmer gone, you know, endurance junkie or whatever you want to say, but, um, no sports coaches, no teammates, not even myself would have guessed that, you know, this is the path that I would be on with like records and all these different ultra events, um, that I've been doing since then.
1: Yeah, I totally, first of all, I'm really shocked. I didn't realize that, um, you were the the daisy picker in the field. That's what that surprises me. Um, but I totally get what you mean about like running gives you that feeling of possibility. And I think that is even more so in long distance running, right? Like I can remember thinking after I ran 8K once and I was super young, so it was a long way at the time. Um, And I only knew because my dad, like, drove where I ran so he could measure it on his car. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No watches or phones or anything, right? And being like, it was like 8K and being like, well, that's the farthest probably anybody's ever run. But, like, after you run that far, then you're like, whoa, maybe I could go 10 and then maybe I can go 16 and then maybe I can run 100 miles. Like, it just builds on each other, right? Oh, totally. I mean –
0: every time you open that door and, and that's why I, I, you know, some people will say, well, I just ran one mile and that's all it takes to have the confidence to go a little bit further. And just one mile is what opened the path for me to be, you know, where I am now. But I mean, if, if people say to me, Oh, I, I never think I could run a marathon. I mean, my answer to that is just like, Oh yeah, that was me too. I never thought I could either. So just because you think you can't do something doesn't mean you're actually correct. And so I'm always like, Oh, you you don't think you could run a marathon? Which ones have you tried? And they're just like, "Uh, I haven't. I'm like, well, yeah, there you go. You got to actually try. Like no one runs marathons without actually trying. So and it's it's not about running at the end of the day like the world doesn't need more marathon runners the world just needs people bold enough to to do the things that their heart is you know speaking to them and everyone has a different call in life so i think it's more about that than you know making sure everyone's going running i mean
1: <laughs> yes you're totally right and i that's something we say we like that was just put so much better than we've ever put it. But that is what I think draws a lot of us to alter running is that like somebody like, you know, people that are even, I just interviewed Norma who started to run longer distances at like 58 and then came second in Badwater. And it is such a, wow. like, yeah, it transitions to the rest of your life to be like, Oh, like if I'm capable of doing this then what else can I do at work or at home or whatever it is. Um, so for you, you run this one mile, It obviously opens up the floodgates. What happens next? Did you just start running longer distances or did you start then thinking endurance sports were your jam in general, because you've gone on to do Ironmans to do long distance rides and, um, a crazy ass row, which we will get into as well. Um, so talk us through how that kind of evolved for you.
0: Um, so it, it kind of went one mile at a time, like one, one mile. And then I was like, well, maybe can I do two? And then, basically like every week or so I would add on one more mile. And once I reached 10 miles, that's when I'm like, well, maybe, maybe the marathon. And I didn't know anyone who had run a marathon. I knew the story of the marathon that someone's like trying to deliver a message and then died. So like, we're going to go do it and not die. And I, I mean, just looking at Runners Magazine, it's like Kenyans and elite runners can do this. I, I don't know. So I had this notion that it was just crazy. I didn't know anyone. And so, yeah, I, I was hesitant to to really commit to it. But then once I was at the race, it was like, oh, there's people who look like me and don't look like me. There's people who are young and old. There's and, and it kind of made me realize the body of a marathon runner is any body that's at the race. So it, it really helped me see that, um, I belong and, you know, I don't need to change because yeah, I mean, I have, I have a body. I, um, and, and, uh, I always thought that like, um, I was too big to run marathons and do that kind of thing. So, um, that is where the, the first like endurance, like, uh, yeah. And then after that, I was looking online and looking like, this is how backwards my way of, of doing these events. So I do my first marathon and I'm like, I want to do an Ironman, but I should probably get better at cycling. Like I did cycling growing up. And so um, that's when I decided to bike across America without having a bicycle. So I was like, yeah, that'll help with my biking. Like what? Like you could clearly tell I had no coach to be thinking that to train for my, to get better at biking, I should bike across 3,300 miles across America. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that particular ride was in support of the American Lung Association and as soon as I saw the cause behind it I knew that it was for me just because my grandma she passed away from lung disease and she gave up smoking the day I was born um, because I was her first granddaughter and so I wanted to do something in her memory and in her honor and um yeah, I, I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I, I like to believe that if you have a strong enough why, you could figure out how. And so um, that one, I, I think I trained for like six months in, as a freshman in college um, during my, my my summer break. And um, so, yeah, there's been a running, uh, the first marathon cycling across America swimming the Allegheny River. That was a 325-mile swim. Um, I did a self-supported run across the Mojave Desert, pushing a baby stroller. Then uh, rowing across the Atlantic was one of the one of the, I guess, biggest challenges from um, Africa to South America, uh, solo and no yeah, follow boat or anything like that.
1: Well, I have no idea what a direction to go into because you just said so many things there. Um, I want to go back to the first thing you said about feeling like you were too big to be a runner. That's such a bizarre thought, but I know what you mean. And that's kind of what the magazines and everything make us believe. Was there a point where you just said, fuck that and got over it? Or is it something you still struggle with today? Or how did you overcome that to start like, because Some of these things that you are like, if you're going out into the Atlantic or run across something huge or to ride across the country, you have to believe that you can do it. So any of these things that people tell you, you're not the right body to do it would lead to doubt, right? So how are you overcoming that?
0: Well, here's my theory on this, because I don't know if I believe like, so I just did this 11 ultras in 11 days to raise funds for 11 clean water projects. And um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure, like, I believe that things are possible. And I believe that it's possible that things, like, are way out of your control. All it takes is one misstep and the game is over. So I don't, I guess, I feel like my source of motivation is not like, I believe I can, but it's more like, I'm curious. Let's see what like the curiosity that kids have for like, can I climb the tree? I don't know if I can or can't. Can I hike to the top of that hill? Can I? And so, I mean, I I believe that our bodies are very capable and can do these, do things that we can't, you know, even fathom but I also believe it's very possible to have injury and setbacks and so yeah I try to maintain a certain level of kind of like respecting the distance like I've done several Ironmans and I've done several hundred mile races but I don't ever go into any of those races thinking oh I got this I've already done this before I go into everyone knowing that anything could happen I mean with nutrition, with weather, with, you know, how it could be very dangerous going 20, 25, you know, miles per hour on a bike. And with the amount of people who myself included getting cycling accidents. And so I'm definitely not blind to like the, the, the real things that happen when, whenever you're doing these things, if that makes sense. But, uh, yeah. The body is like the being a female doing endurance things. Um, I think it was harder, like doing triathlon, because they even had—I don't know if they still have it—is like the weight class, and it's it's like I being five eight and one hundred and forty pounds is considered the plus size <laughs> triathlete, and I'm just like, okay, I guess. I'll go in that category i, I mean it, it it just i hope they don't do that anymore but i definitely didn't really appreciate it being a plus size you know what i mean like you could have muscle and a, a body but i think things like that perpetuate that idea that you have to be smaller to do these things
1: yeah 100 percent. and that's part of the cool part about trail running too i mean these things we say all the time that it seems to be more of an inviting type sport because it's not about being like oh be super light and aerodynamic it's just be like be fucking strong and get up the mountain yeah um I love what you said there and I think that's what I think about curiosity and there seems to be these like two camps of people that are like maybe also think that if you do these things it means you have to be like oh yeah I'm a fucking badass and I'm can do it like the whole David Goggins kind of look at things um which I like in some aspect, I'm super competitive and I think it's fun to kind of try to motivate yourself to that degree. But I totally agree that the cool thing about endurance sports is I'm going to get to the edge of my comfort zone and I don't really get to get there very often the way that life works now. And when I get there, I get to explore what that feels like and I get to see what not thinking you can take another step is like, or, um, pedal another meter whatever it happens to be and I think that kind of curiosity to push our limits is again something that can like transfer into other parts of your life so that I'm just really glad you said that I think that's a cool part of it
0: it is like so I mean there are times when it's like um like uh doing a marathon now when I do a marathon I think doing it faster, like that could be a real, like, you know, something that motivates me, but um, like last year, I did this run across the state of Maine, like nonstop 138 miles. And I just remember the least exciting miles were like the first 50 miles because it was like, well, I've done this. So it takes a lot longer to get to those places. Um, so that, that is one thing about it. Like when you're so kind of focused on being curious to see what's possible, um, learning to appreciate those first 50 miles. And I, I know that like those first miles, you can't do mile a hundred, 120, 130, unless you do the first 50 miles. Right. So, um, yeah, that's just something I recognize that I'm like, boring when, when it's kind of that first part of an ultra and where it gets really exciting is when, you know, it's in the middle of the night and, um, things, you know, your body's just reacting and you get to feel, you know, the effects of all that effort.
1: Oops, I forgot I was on mute. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, It seems like if I'm looking through the things you did as well, racing isn't a huge part of it for you. I guess that kind of goes in tandem with the things that you've said too. It seems like it's a personal sense of accomplishment as well as trying to use that to do things um, for other people or raise money or raise awareness. So I kind of want to stream it together in a timeline as well. What was the first thing that you did that was for a cause and was there a particular moment in time or event that made you think, oh, I should use some of these skills that I have to do these crazy ass things to um, do some good in the world?
0: So I, after doing my first marathon, I did the bike across America for the American Lung Association. And I had no idea how endurance challenges can be used as a platform for something bigger. Like I was 19, I was like, why would people give just because I'm riding my bike? Like, what, what, do, what am I going to do other than ride my bike? Like, who am I going to ask? And I just didn't know how that all worked. And, and honestly, it's something I'm still learning more and more about, like how, how to ma- maximize impact um, for these challenges. But uh, after that, I was living in Australia. And they had a drought that was affecting everything. I mean, every med- major headline was about the water shortages. And there was just a state of perpetual fear. This, you can't water your grass. You can't, you know, wash your cars. You And so seeing it there, I was already more aware of water. Um, and it's something that I've taken for granted my whole life, being born and raised on the Great Lakes, and I was studying environmental science, and I remember one of my professors saying that the wars of the future will be on water, and in some countries, it's already the case, and I just couldn't imagine that. Like, when you think we have airplanes, we have computers, we have vehicles, we just have it all, and to know that at the time, it was a billion people, so one in six people, their whole entire existence is about walking 4 miles a day um for water that's not even clean um and how it affects education how it affects health how it affects environment women empowerment and so it really was something that struck me on this fairness level like that's not even fair that we have enough clean water on our planet And yet it's just kind of like with food, we have enough food on our planet. So no one has to go hungry. We have enough clean water and there's a lot of problems, right? Like, and with water, there is a solution. It's not scratch our heads and throw hundreds of millions of dollars on research. There's proven and effective ways. And so this last run I did, $16 was enough to help one person get clean water, and when you know the need and you see the impact and you know, I mean, I think everyone wants and desires to change, change the, their world or change the world in some way. And water is such an easy way to do it in a significant way. And so I did my first challenge for water after the Bike Across America, which was swim for water. But since then, um, I've done 10 different challenges for clean water, and it's raised enough to help 30,000 people get clean water. So that's all over in Haiti and Honduras, and Nicaragua, um, South Africa, India, Kenya, Uganda. And I have had a chance to visit some of those water projects. And I mean, adventures, they last a day, a week, a month, whatever, but the impact could live on. And, um, I mean, that's hugely motivating for me personally to do things that kind of have this tangible, um, you know, because truthfully I'm running around in circles, right? Like, yes, I, there's, you you know, there's, there's more to it than that, but I could have taken a plane across the Atlantic or across the United States. There's no real, other you know purpose behind it in in the sense of how is it really changing anyone but myself and so not to say that that's not worth doing but the fact that it can do more it's it's um yeah it definitely helps inspire me to keep doing what I what I'm doing
1: yeah and i think the cool part is that it also inspires other people to be like oh you know, like, we don't have to try to get everybody in North America to save more water because that feels like such an overwhelming task. And, like, I watch people that, like, run the tap while they brush their teeth. And I'm like, oh, all these things drive me crazy. And it's easy to get to a point where you're like, there's nothing I can do. But if they see what you did and there's still, like, the chance to donate on your website, um, it inspires other people to be like maybe there's something I can do in my community that at least brings awareness to like 50 people and maybe they do one small thing so we all have something that we can do to to make a difference and I think it's just deciding that you can do that it's all arguably harder than the actual row or the actual ride or the actual run or whatever is giving yourself that kind of vulnerability to be like I'm gonna do something drastic enough to try to make a. Change, I think
0: that's so funny. Like, okay, so this run for water across Ohio, doing it was a 341 mile run, so it was like 11 ultras in 11 days. And we're doing a, a, I'm working with a filmmaker to do a film on it called Running Home. And we met on Saturday and we were talking about like what was the hardest part. I was like, everything but the running, like, yeah, if. Yeah. Like there's a lot that, that goes into these. And I guess when, when I kind of break down what these things are, especially this past run that I did in July, um, it's a run, but it's not an organized run. So it was like, I, there weren't, wasn't a race director planning out there weren't aid stations. So it, it was very much like you're planning a run and then it was like a world record so there were all these witnesses that had to be government officials and um all the logistics of that it was a charity event which is you know the 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 bigger purpose behind it and then it was a film so it it is cool knowing that you can you know do more with adventure but it's also like wow there's a lot more going on than just running so I think that's where I'm most in my element when it's just me and the the task at hand. And, and what's cool about running is, you know, some people are like, what are you thinking about for seven hours of running? And I think the best times when I'm running is when I'm not thinking at all, when I'm just so focused on the nature and how my body feels. And you can get into like this flow state with running. I feel like more than any other endurance
1: sport. Yeah, that I can get for sure, where you're just like, the difference between two hours and like 15 is, is really nothing. But if you were like, go run 4K fast, I'd be like, Ugh. and <laughs> you're like, uh, counting the minutes. But yeah, especially when you're not in a race, I find, and you're just kind of, yeah, zoned out and your body's just going. It's kind of a cool place to be, actually. I love it. It's like you just put it on autopilot and there it goes. And Yeah, Totally. Um, I actually like the trails too. Cause I used to be like, I'm going to zone out and run right into the middle of the intersection one day. for <laughs> <sure."> <laughs> Um, so, so what about from do- like a personal, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so are you more trails or roads now? More trails when I can. Um, but I live an hour away from the mountains. So I have to run road a lot as well, but, um, yeah, I love the trails. My next race is actually, something called the double where the first is 100k and then um, the next is a 28k kind of back to back but the 100k starts at 5 p.m so you're running through the night in the mountains but it's in cougar and bear country so um, I just actually before this was like I better check that my headlamps work (laughs) oh wow because you just never know and that to me is like the element where it's like yeah 100k we've all done that before not more a lot of the listeners. Um, but the element of being like where the cougars like to hang out in the night is what's kind of getting me a bit on that. Uh,
0: one. Where is this at?
1: Um, it's on the island. So it's funny in that, like, there's not any major mountains, but there's 600 meters. So what's that, like 19,000 feet? Um, over 100K of like the biggest climb is 450 meters or something. So you're just going up and down, up and down, up and down, over and over and over and over again. It's bizarre, but it'll be cool.
0: Okay, my question about this though. So I I've done these hundred milers and they're always flat. And I'm from Ohio and I do that intentionally. But I'm just curious, like, I feel like if there's a lot of mountains, it's just like power walking and it's not running anymore because you can't really run up those. And it's especially when the technical ones. So I'm aware of all these like more, I don't know if the word mainstream 100 milers and, but they, all the more mainstream 100 milers seem to me to be a lot of hiking because of the terrain. True yes. or false?
1: True. Um, And it's like, some of the climbs are so steep. There's just no way yeah. that you can get it yeah. or get up otherwise. But the like power hiking with purpose is very different from your casual hike. So you're still getting up way faster. And then the key is learning how to run downhill fast on the technical terrain, which I suck at. um, But my main running partner, also named Katie actually, is like a fantastic downhill runner. And the speed that you can get running down technical terrain is bananas. Um, And then it just becomes more strategic, like any flat bits or slight uphills, you have to run those and then power hike as best you can. Um, so it's a fun, like, kind of variation. But, yeah, it becomes – it it makes it so that when people are like, oh, what's your 100-mile running time? Like, you can't compare them. It totally depends on what the race is. But yeah. I like a good climb. Yeah. It adds a, another layer of, layer of, like, mental destruction when you're like, cool, that mile took me, like, 45 minutes. That's great.
0: <laughs> I just – yeah, that I feel like from being so used to – like, my first 100 was the North Coast 24-hour, so it was a 0.9-mile flat loop, oh God. which, I mean, it's no track, like, how they do those indoor ones, but it was not far from, from being that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be hard to adjust to slowing your pace and um, knowing, I mean, it's just, like, more time on your feet and more nutrition and more sleep deprivation and
1: yeah so maybe this sounds like your next um challenge should be come up to the pacific northwest where we have 100 percent the most rugged terrain probably in north america and run an ultra here
0: well i did i did officiate my friend's wedding on base camp of mount rainier and one of the most fun things was running down the mountain and we had tarps for the snow fields so I think it was like (laughs) so we were basically sledding down a mountain and um once we got out of the snow it was like running running down so sledding and running down that mountain and so that I could get behind but
1: That's a great idea, actually. If I ever run – there's a lot of races that have snow up top. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm just going to throw a garbage bag. Yeah. A mini tarp.
0: (laughs) Well, it was – there were so many people doing it that it was like luge tracks
1: (laughs) down a mountain. It
0: was amazing.
1: You get going fast, too, right? Yeah, for sure.
0: Like, sometimes I was so fast that I'd, like, kick my legs just to kind of – and, like, roll to the side if I – because, yeah, I I know some people – I think we all had a few bruises here and there, just because it was, yeah. I mean, it's
1: hard, hard snow. <laughs> I hear you. So, what about from like a personal level? You're 34. Um, what are you doing as a career? Are you married? Do you want a family? How do these crazy adventures fit into just other parts of life?
0: Um. So I joined the Coast Guard in about three or four years ago, and so. I have like put, I just started getting back into the ultra stuff because of training and being in different like boot camps and, um, all these training environments for several, like six months and, and moving around a lot and being on a boat for a while. And so I have, uh, ability now and more consistency, but, um, I am single and it is easier to kind of do these things. And most of my friends are also into doing some kind of, you know, fitness. And, and so I've made a lot of friends that, that also share this kind of passion. But I do see myself in the future. Um, I have one more year in the Coast Guard. And I do think after that, I'm going to go back into, yeah, like bigger, bigger, bigger challenges. And I've always wanted to do this, like, around the world journey by human power alone. So it would be um, cycling and running and rowing. And so that's why I did the rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. So the intention behind that was because if you look at the whole world, and that particular leg was probably the most difficult, you wouldn't want to start a journey and be like, oh, the hardest part is at the end. So that's why I did do that row from Africa to South America. Um, You know, that particular part of the ocean and why I went mainland to mainland. So people who do row oceans usually go from island to island because you're right in the like currents and the trade winds or. So, yeah. So, yeah, going around the world. And so I would begin the first leg, which would be like, 12,000 miles from South to North America, and hopefully visiting water projects along the way and uh, continuing to raise funds for the cause.
1: That sounds epic. And then what would you ride or run the other part, the land part?
0: I, so I think mostly cycling, but my friend and I, uh, this February are rollerblading and there's actually off-road rollerblades that, um, I kind of want to do that across America because I have already cycled across America. And, um, I I think it'd just be cool to rollerblade. It's rollerblading so fun. And I think runners are on cyclists, we're very good at like you know forward, but our hips aren't generally used, and our I feel like even my low back is getting more of a workout on rollerblades, and so I think it complements everything and strengthens areas that are known to be kind of out of balance from running only. So yeah, I think I definitely want to incorporate the um, the rollerblading for america
1: why don't you go across canada like same distance and i will rollerblade the rockies 100 with you. oh
0: okay yeah
1: that's good meet We're me next year yeah good brakes <laughs> like not brakes as in brakes to rest but like rollerblade brakes i think
0: oh but- yes so these so the company is called power slide and there aren't any off-road like rollerblades and off-road rollerblades only make 2% of the market, but they are, the power slide is based in Germany and they have ones that kind of, it's kind of like your calf, like you can break with that and they even have like collapsible and regular poles. So I think that might help to increase the speed because, um, yeah,
1: the off-road ones, are you actually inflate the wheels. Uh, what? Yeah. This is, doesn't seem real. So I was a hockey player, so my rollerblades are old hockey skates with wheels on the bottom, like, so that they mimic for <gasps> roller hockey, right? So yeah. I'm just like, it's not fitting in my <laughs> brain. Blow up wheels? Like, I don't get this. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, I feel like I... So I was working with Sawyer, um... It's a company that uh, does outdoor products like water filtration for camping. and
1: They sponsored our podcast for a bit. I know them. Oh, that's
0: so cool. They, they sponsored the film for the run, and I was on a call with them, and he one of the, the contacts there mentioned about the off-road rollerblading, and he shared the link, but I think it's on, like, Outside um, Magazine, and has all these really cool videos. So Off yeah, road, but okay.
1: Well, I'm in to off-road rule. Oh my god, the the wheels are massive.
0: Yeah. Um. So I do right now have the three wheels, so I am used to being taller.
1: I was going to um, say, yeah, you're way up there.
0: I just can't. I mean, I still I like pronate, and I don't know how to get myself to stop doing that. Like you could tell by the wear
1: of the wheel that I definitely am. Um, pronating. So you have to get better, like. You have to get better ankle stability, obviously. Yeah. But what you can do is do drills. Like this is what I used to teach power skating as well. Like start on one side on just one foot and then try to get like a hundred yards or something only on that one foot. So what you end up doing is like carving C's into the ground on both sides. And you learn all the stabilizer muscles on both sides of how to stay up properly with just that one wheel and then when you have two obviously you're way more stable does that make sense
0: yeah so is this a common thing or like pronation on skates
1: um sort of it's just part of the like strength of it so yeah I I, like when you're starting out it's kind of but I don't I don't feel like you're probably starting out um I think it just is you needing to get used to it
0: Mm. yeah it's just like with the uh, main roller blades like the non pump up like with air once the wheels start wearing on the inside of them it's like almost it makes it even harder not to pronate but yeah
1: Are you have you ever skated before?
0: I have but not like you know backwards I didn't get that to backwards skating or ice skating or anything like that enough to not fall over basically
1: but the other thing is the inside of your wheels would kind of wear because if you were pushing out this people are going to be like what is this conversation Um, (laughs) all of your balance is going to be on like say your right foot and then your left foot is striding out and pushing so during that stride you're on your inside edge of that left foot and that's going to wear away the inside and your other side is going to be flat so what if you're going to go long distance i think you've got to be rotating your wheels that makes sense yeah good so we're rotate we're um rollerblading across the Rockies Great. This been <laughs> <laughs> super stoked um we so I uh so that's that's next year um so yes
0: yeah, so my term <laughs> yeah. with the Coast Guard ends in November so it would be uh late next year Uh, So that I would start in Guyana where I landed. And so it would be Guyana, Brazil, Ecuador, and um, Colombia, Panama, all the way up and to Alaska.
1: Amazing. So you are not having to train hugely for these events. I feel like anymore, because you probably just have a a solid base. So it's more of just like a tune up and making sure you're kind of top notch. Like, do you just, live at this fitness level do you think now I mean I was like so
0: I was trying to do the splits and it turns out I can't do them like I like these mini challenges it's hard (laughs) yeah and so I, I I strained my hamstring right before this run across Ohio and um yeah my my so like I basically did 31 miles of running for whatever 11 days straight and I didn't train because my hamstring so it was definitely a gamble to even start but for for like the six weeks before it I couldn't the best thing for me to do was not run and so um yeah I I I guess if I was doing something that required speed, I think That's that would just require to say, yeah. a lot of training. Like, um, I yeah, but if it's just endurance, I think, yeah, maybe it is true that my body has been doing this for, yeah, maybe like a decade now that I, I feel like even without a lot of training, it can do things that, um, yeah, like the ultra endurance stuff.
1: Yeah. I think you can consider some of the stuff you've done possibly as enough training at this point. And like for 11 days in a row, there's going to be a fatigue at the beginning. And then I think you're going to adapt and you're going to run yourself fitter as you're doing that.
0: Oh, totally. And that was what was so encouraging about the 11 days because day three, day four, I definitely had the brick feeling like, and I'm glad I've done like, uh, Ironman triathlons and that kind of distance because I knew what it felt like to like bricks. Like whenever you go from running and mm-hmm. biking, it feels like your legs are bricks. And so day three and four, it felt like that. And, um, I mean, I do it all by myself, like my runs, because I think it, the only, I don't realize I'm slow unless I'm running with someone else. And, yes. and so yes. when you're just in your own space, it's not really, you know, I mean, whether it was nine minutes or 11 minutes, I mean, you don't really, it's not such a significant thing that generally it's like five miles an hour once you get your fuel and everything. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Um, because I think people get caught up in, running with other people and Strava and all of these things. And I think that's kind of where injuries do happen. So like just the ultimate running your own race is kind of what you're doing. Totally. Yeah. So I have a few last questions. What was scarier rowing across the Atlantic alone and like being like, Oh, if I fall in, I'm going to get eaten by sharks or going on Joe Rogan's podcast.
0: I mean, I say, Rowing on Lake Erie was the scariest. I, I know really? that's not even uh Yes, I almost I almost like died. I I got in a bad accident. I got pushed into cliffs, my boat was nearly destroyed.
1: Oh People were like,
0: If you can't row Lake Erie, why why do you think you can row the Atlantic? You failure I'm taking oh, my picture. Fuck you guys. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, but I got a problem I gotta fix. So <laughs>
1: Well, that's much nicer. I would have been like, get off the couch, you fuck.
0: But like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm i in my element when I'm doing these things. And I um, I don't know, I I kind of feel like, of course, you want to have fear when you're about to be run down by a freighter. Because if you don't have fear, you aren't going to do anything. So yes, I had fears. And I, I think that was a very good gift to be able to prevent bad things from happening and like if I didn't have fear maybe I'd be like hey I want to go swimming with the sharks like yeah fear is a good thing and I used it on the row but I would say that if I was speaking on a stage or doing things like the interviews I, I would I would think that that's more something that isn't my you know my my home space my my zen whatever you want to call it so yeah probably joe rogan would be scarier than the atlantic
1: (laughs) the interview was funny with him because you could tell you were saying things about um like endurance sports in general that like he has never experienced and he was just kind of like i don't know where to go from there with that
0: wait where did you see that
1: that's so funny (laughs) no just listening I was like oh yeah I get what she means and then like I I wanted to like talk more about like I I don't even I couldn't tell you now what it was but it was stuff that was like super interesting from someone else who like loves endurance where he was just like yeah like one time I ran on a treadmill and I was like yeah way to go (laughs) Joe yeah anyways probably shouldn't be driving him but anyway he doesn't care um we'll slash we'll never know but um now I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So if you had a message for other people that were listening to this podcast, whether it be about the water, or one of your other causes or a place to go like check out your website where they can donate, like what's the biggest kind of message and or actionable you want people to take that hear your story?
0: Um. So my biggest thing is like, I only hope that my story is a mirror for other people to uncover their own, you know, and, and uncover what is true, what is possible for themselves. I think it's easy to hear stories about people and, and say, Oh, that's great. They can do that, but I could never. And so I'm always encouraging others to question and challenge those things. And, um, I mean, a huge part of my journey is I am afraid, intimidated. I am scared and you can be afraid and still do things, you you know, like it's normal and natural and you can do these things that seem like you need to be this fearless person, but you can have fear and you can keep walking in faith. So um, that's something. Yeah. I mean,
1: that, That's what makes them satisfying too. What was that? That's what makes them satisfying too.
0: Oh yeah. Like you can't have that sense of achievement or accomplishment if you don't have that before it. So I, I like encouraging others just to embrace that as part of the journey for sure. Um, but yeah. And then for supporting the cause, um, I am doing a ride for water across um, Maine and so I'm fundraising for a school in Uganda to have clean water and if uh, anyone would like to donate it goes directly to H2O for Life and it's just um, katiespots.com and there's a donate link there or
1: water.katiespots.com. Awesome I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, Okay and last question. After your row or your run or any number of things, your ride, what is your favorite go to meal?
0: I I just love watermelon. I just have to <laughs> have watermelon all the time and like Really? Yeah interesting. I s and a little bit of salt. I just crave what? watermelon. Huh. All right. Never sick of watermelon.
1: Crazy. That's funny because I've heard multiple times people be like watermelon looks so good in a night station, but it makes me puke. So what you have, um, yeah, you have a skill, you have a, a special gift and it's not running. It's eating watermelon.
0: Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm very aware that a lot of my friends are faster than me, but once you get to Iron Man or ultra distances, I pass them only because I can eat and keep food down and keep calories in. And so
1: that is real. That's a real thing. That- oh, totally. And I was, I was kidding. I, you're obviously a very gifted athlete, <laughs> but um, yeah, the ability to eat is a, is a thing for yeah, sure. for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm so excited. Do you, you keep up with everything on your website for what you're doing and what about social media? Is there an Instagram people can find you?
0: Yeah. So it's just Katie spots, um, last name S P O T Z. Uh, and then on Facebook, hello, Katie spots.
1: Okay. Amazing. I actually, am I got to make sure I'm got shit going on here too? There you are. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. We had a few scheduling hiccups, so I'm so glad we finally connected. Uh, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to following your journey and, and thanks again for taking the time to chat with us.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you.